the pen is mightier than the sword. My tagline is your voice heard through the written word. That is what I provide for my clients when I gauge them in content writing, blog writing, other marketing collateral that they need in the written word. From pod617.com, the Boston Podcast Network, it's the Communication Commandments, a presentation of Boston Edits. Now here's your host, Kim Calvey. Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you for tuning in. I'm so pleased to have my guest here, Stanley Payne from Stanley J. Payne Auctioneers out of Newton, Massachusetts. Stan is a longtime client of mine. And I'm so thrilled to have him on the show. And so I'd like to welcome him by asking him, first of all, before we launch into all of the questions, Stan, how did you get your start in auctioneering and appraisals? Good morning, Kim. Thank you for having me today. I actually got into the business a little bit over 30 years ago. My mother started antique business back in the mid-60s, and she would buy out estates. And uh, when she bought the estate, she typically wanted the fine art, the sterling, the jewelry, mm. small furniture, fine porcelain. And uh, as time progressed, as she was buying these estates, she would call in a rug dealer to buy all the carpets. She would call in a furniture dealer to buy in the heavy furniture and so on. Mm. So uh, she was always in a smaller store in Brookline, Chestnut Hill area, and she grew it into one of the, the finer stores in New England. So she asked me at the point where she was able to get into a beautiful gallery in Newton to uh, join her in the business. So at that point, I joined her about 32 years ago, got my auctioneering license, and rather than calling in the fine art dealers, the rug dealers, the furniture dealers, we put all the items she didn't want for her gallery in our warehouse, and three or four times a year, we would run high-end estate auctions. Interesting. Okay. Now, my understanding, though, is that your educational background was you were, went to Embry-Riddle in Florida, right? You were completely on a different path. So, I got out of college, a bachelor's yeah. degree in aeronautical engineering. I went to work for General Electric and Lynn Mass in their aerospace group. And uh, with some developmental engines, they moved me out to Edwards Air Force Base for flight test programs for the A-10 aircraft, the YF-17, which became the F-18, which the Navy and Marines... Yeah. And uh, then over time, it was like a four-year plan. It was four years in California, four years in Philadelphia, four years in Florida. So it got to the point that my children were starting to get of school age, and I wanted to come back to Massachusetts. Oh, I see. So so was so that about the stable. time then that your mother asked you to join her her business? Yes. Okay. Now, it worked I, out great. It sounds like it. Absolutely. That, well, that's good. And you've obviously sustained it for your the rest of your career, up to, including up till now. So, yes. But I've got a question for you. It would seem to me, because of your educational background with aeronautical engineering and the amount of numbers, and you know, you, you, we're going to cover this a little bit more later with appraisals, right. you have to look at some detailed numbers and really break those down. So it would seem to me like there's a little bit of overlap or transferable skills, if you will, between the two. And who would have ever thought? Is that a yes. fair assessment? Yes. You, you need to be detail-oriented. You need to be able to analyze the numbers, figure out what they mean so that when you're presenting an asset appraisal, an estate appraisal, that you know, you know we are getting the numbers, what they mean to the person who's looking at them. Okay. So, and, and all right. So that's, yeah, I would think that's the education of it. But auctioneering. So your company is called Stanley J. Payne Auctioneers. But what exactly does auctioneering encompass? Like I think of an auctioneer. I remember going to one when I was very young and there's a guy at, the, at a podium and he's yelling all these numbers out in rapid succession and people are waving paddles. And is that really how an auction goes? And, and what's the prep for that too? Well, the auction is the easy part of the event. When, when people okay. come to an auction and they see everything set up, 
numerically ordered, cataloged. They don't realize the preparation that goes into it from, mm -hmm. first of all, dealing with the consigner, lotting, tagging, photograph all of the items. And then you know, so you're moving them from one location to a warehouse, maybe back to another location for the auction. Even though we do a number of our auctions on site, but there still is that preparation, lotting, tagging, photographing, uploading them to the website, mm -hmm. um, all the advertising that's involved, social media now. Sure. Yeah, there's quite a bit of preparation that goes into actually executing a successful auction. Now, is this something that you and your company does itself, or do you outsource some of the work? Or And, and, if, and if everything is done in-house, how many people are helping you? How many people work for you? We don't outsource anything. We do all the work internally. Okay. We have five to eight people that work for us on a, on a regular basis. Oh, okay. All setting right. up and preparing auctions and conducting and them. About how many auctions would you say that that you um, that you do a year? We probably do eight to ten industrial commercial auctions a year. Those are you no know, asset based. Yep. We probably do another fifteen to twenty real estate auctions per year. Oh wow! Okay. And those are both foreclosures and private treaty sales. Okay. All right. So now I'd like to ask this. I think that. I'm getting a little ahead of myself because now we're in the time of COVID, but when you're conducting an auction, a live auction, what's the best part? The excitement of having the people there. It's basically a social event. Okay. Now, due to COVID, we're doing our auctions online. Mm -hmm. We'll do a simulcast auction where I have my own online site, mm -hmm. but, de but uh, depending on the asset that I'm selling, I might use other platforms. So I will actually do a simulcast where you can see me like you are now, I'll have a phone in this ear, a phone in this ear, and I'll have my own clerk that's monitoring my website and I'll be selling the item. You'll see the picture of it on the screen. Mm -hmm. And we've really broadened the base of clients or customers that we can get to our auction, really making it more competitive and getting the most value for our uh, consigners. Oh, wow. Okay. Wow. All right. So, so, this is, I'm thinking out loud a little bit here because I'm trying, I, I'm putting together in my head what a live auction is versus how you've had to go virtual. So it would seem to me like, okay, there's still the amount, there's still the right, the same amount of preparation, tagging and moving inventory, that kind of thing. All of that setup remains the same. But as far as presenting to the public, where it used to be a social event and probably even, I know you did a lot of high-end charity work where you had some local celebrities participate right. as well, but now it's gone virtual. But what is the, how quickly did it take you to adapt to go from live? to virtual? I initially started with an online only platform. Mm -hmm. Then as time went on, I added in a live platform. So okay. I could conduct a live auction online. I could do an online only auction, or I could do live and online where you could be bidding. People can be sitting at home, which is great. A lot of people, when you have a three, 400 lot auction, they might only be interested in a handful of items. So mm -hmm. rather than coming to an auction site, and sitting for the five or six hours, they know that if I'm selling 80 to 100 items an hour, they want lot number 200 that they come in maybe an hour and a half hour and three quarter into the auction. And then their, their items are coming up, they bid, they go elsewhere. So, which is really improved. And that's pretty much the way the industry is going right now. The people prefer the live online mm -hmm. and, and the values are, we're bringing the same values, if not better with online only. That Absolutely. Even though I love the excitement Mm -hmm. of having the people in the audience mm -hmm. uh, with COVID right now, it's not happening due to the limitations of having people in a forum. Mm -hmm. and, and we have to do the same thing when people come to pick up their items. We have to schedule them 
So if we have you know, two or three loading docks or whatever, that we time them properly so that people are in and out and not co-mingling with each other. Yeah, that may, well, right. So you, there was a lot of forethought that went into this. Everybody across the board has had to accommodate this pandemic right. in, in their daily lives and their professional lives and so forth. But, but it sounds like you were quick on the uptake and it hasn't really caused your business to miss a beat from the sounds. No, we're, we're actually, because of all the services that we offer, our business is actually on the uptick. Very good. So now I've looked at your website and I know you've got these beautiful photographs of the events when it was live. And I still think you should leave those photos there because they are beautiful and it it does elicit the excitement that you've just talked about. But now that everything is going virtual, now I've got a question for you. So when you do a virtual, uh, how do you do that? Like with foreclosures, like with property, how is that, how is that in any way different? No, the the foreclosures, the the foreclosures, we show up on site. Okay. Still on site auctions. When the people arrive, if they don't have a mask, we provide a mask and we just ask them to stand six feet apart and we conduct the auction. Very good. And what about the crowds? Have the crowds thinned out as a result of having the six foot distancing or not at all? Well, the foreclosures are typically investor, you know, investors come to them. So you have a, a handful of investors. You might occasionally get the retail person that's interested in a property. But, you know, for most of them, you're looking at eight to 10, 12 people on a highly, um, desirable property you will have more you just have to spread them out oh okay all right and about how 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 many of those do you do or have you done like let's say in the last six months last six months we've probably only done about four or five really do you think they're going to be more as time goes on well there will be but with the foreclosures the first of all there's a moratorium until the end of january and that will probably get extended and Mm -hmm. the banks are going to work with these people the real estate market being so good right now that they will work with these people. There's equity in their homes. They'll probably extend out their mortgages, maybe from 30 years to 40 years. But but I see them working with their borrowers as opposed to just putting them on the street. Well, th- that's good. That's kind. Right. <laughs> that certainly helps the economy, I suppose. Right um, now, so you you talked a little bit about your virtual store, and that's a recent thing. I, I've noticed on your website that it's a grand opening. So it's only been in the last couple of months. And from the sounds of it, you've got people. The phones been ringing off the hook to participate in this. Is that right? Right. We have distributors. We have manufacturers. We have leasing companies that have inventory assets that they want to turn into cash. So we um, are putting these items up in our website as for sale items as opposed to auction items. So we're typically putting a price that the seller wants and uh, naturally we, we negotiate the price, but we're putting reasonable prices. We, we wanna sell the items, we don't want them to sit there. And they're, and then they're able to turn their asset into cash in a timely manner. Okay, all right, so that's a na- nice segue into my next series of questions because I know that when you and I have talked, some of the blogs that I've written for you, it's been, a, it's been a topic with appraisal activity and you've spoken to estate planning attorneys, you've dealt with estate and probate auctions and appraisals and you've done a lot of asset appraisal in particular because, you know, for businesses, right? And you've right. Talked, you mentioned a little bit a few minutes ago about industrial equipment and that sort of thing. Can you talk, I know that's a, this is a broad question, Right. But can you talk about that, please? Well, there's a couple of different areas of our asset appraisal business. One okay. is the industrial commercial sector, okay. where banks or lenders loan money to a manufacturer or restaurant for equipment. And as just, for example, restaurants right now, mm-hmm. they're closing, there's an abundance of equipment. So if the lender has lent a restaurant, for example, $300,000 on equipment, and now with all of these restaurants going out, that $300,000 worth of equipment might only be worth 150. 
So mm-hmm. they'll call us, we'll go in, we'll appraise the asset. They can reset their reserves for those items. So, so that's in the, in the com- commercial and industrial sector. And then in the uh, private sector, when we do the state and probate appraisals, a, a state will call us in sometimes even prior to the, the passing. And they'll say, we want a fair market appraisal so that we can distribute the items prior to our passing in their will. So they'll call us in in advance so that they can equitably distribute the items. So there might be a diamond ring worth $1,000, a sterling flatware that's worth 1000 and a painting that's worth 1000 So if they leave those items equitably, then the person who got the sterling silver is going to say, well, she, she got a diamond ring for $1,000, but they're all worth the same value. So it makes it a lot easier in advance of the passing to just dis- to actually distribute those items, you know, with a probate, with a, a state appraisal. Mm-hmm. And then we'll get called in, you know, after you know, a death in a family and we'll do the probate appraisal. We'll do a divorce appraisal, insurance appraisals. So we're, we're pretty much covered as far as the appraisal work that we can provide to our clients. Okay. That's excellent. That, that certainly sounds comprehensive. And I wanted to talk to you a little, talk to you a little bit about, you talked about, uh, a project you and I collaborated on last summer was uh, reaching out to people like lending brokers, asset departments at banks, credit and lending departments at banks, as well as the other attorneys and uh, not just estate planning attorneys, but like you said, bankruptcy attorneys, biz- business litigation. I believe that also came up. Other people that would be interested in your services because they're looking at risk. They're looking at at you know mitigating risk and valuing these assets, and not just for your private citizens as clients, like for your state planning attorneys. Okay, they're dealing with clients who have diamond rings and that sort that sort of thing. But when you reach out to your clients who are bankers, they or or other companies where they have an asset appraisal department and they need your services, those are companies because they're looking to protect their clients. That that sounds like from what I remember is that that's somebody that you have a relationship with. That it's that that type of industry is somebody that you also have a strong relationship with. Is that true? Right. We deal with bankers, with CPAs, with estate and probate attorneys, mm-hmm. uh, private companies, even the private companies. They want to know the state of their assets. They'll have a lot of, let's say, construction equipment. You know, mm-hmm. we'll go in and we'll evaluate all of their equipment so that they know where they stand in parallel to maybe the bank looking at the same thing. They want to know okay. the status of you know, their assets. And does, do you get calls like this for, from companies? They want, to know that they want to know what their assets are worth, but sometimes they'll just call you just because they want to know, not because they're in a crisis? Well, they typically call because they're required to by the bank. Oh, all right. Okay. The bank will typically call. Either the bank will call us to do the appraisal or the company at the behest of the bank will call us to do the appraisal. You do deal with banks, you do deal with attorneys, but are there other types of companies that require your asset management services where they would call you? Yeah, it's, it's usually portfolio managers, asset managers. That's usually in the bank. Can you cite some examples where you've had phone calls from a bank to say, we have, let's say these three or four clients, one of them's a restaurant, one of them's a manufacturer, one's, one of them's a distributor. We need you, have, we need you we're assigning you this oppor- these opportunities to go in and, and appraise their assets. And we need you to you know, prepare the paperwork. Right. We've actually had a number of those calls during COVID, which is mm. it's actually been easier because these places are at reduced workforces and we can mm. even go in after hours, off hours, so that yeah. we're not interfering with the operation to get the appraisals done. But no, actually just what you've said, we've done them for the banks of assets to go in, you know, to restaurants, 
to uh, leasing companies, manufacturers to, to do these appraisals, even auto dealerships. So, all right, and auto dealerships, really? Okay, right. now th- that's how is does is that even a little bit different from other industries, like say a restaurant? Well, in terms of how you go about appraising. No, we're not going in to do the vehicles. We're going in to do the shop and the inventory that the shop has. They might want to okay. either be selling their business to another uh, dealer. Mm-hmm. So they want to make sure that the asset value that they're asking for can be um, authenticated by an appraisal. Oh, I see. And, and it doesn't have, so, so a car dealership though wouldn't have any, if somebody's trying to sell a car dealership from you know client A to client B, it, it doesn't factor in what they have in their showroom as far as the vehicles. It's just not as far the- as the vehicles. Cause those are all on, they're all loaned out pretty much. It's, they don't okay. own them either. Oh, well, that's true too. Okay. Right. All right. So uh, that's interesting. I never would have thought of that. Okay. That, that's right. not, that's something that's actually cut out of the whole conversation. Right. It's pretty much the realty and okay. then the equipment in the dealership. Can you give an example of a couple of really complicated appraisals that you've had to do? Where it's just been like a lot of parts that were some were some were valued quite highly, and then some were there were it's the same thing in the same with under the same roof. There was a lot of stuff that didn't have much value, and it was it just took a long time to put together. Well, we've been called into a, a manufacturer in Rhode Island mm-hmm. to evaluate all of his, and he had water pumps, compressors, and a lot of it was just antiquated. So they had it on their books. However, it was a good majority of it was scrap. So hmm. now they've got what they thought was maybe $800,000 of merchandise that turned out to only be about 300000 due to all of the items that they kept over years. So I bet that's probably going to be uh, when, when somebody has a, they've got a different idea of what they think that the appraisal is going to be. And then you have to deliver news like that. It's an awakening. Yeah, I bet. I bet. Yeah. Yeah. But if you know what you're doing and how can they, I mean, anybody else, I would assume probably say the same thing. So it really, and the bank is looking at the numbers anyway. They're not looking at what somebody else thinks about it. It's like, well, this is what it really is. So this is, these are the numbers we're going to play with. Correct. Correct. And our appraisals are are all backed up by comps, other market data. So they're. And how do you, how do you get, how do you get that? How do you get the comps? How do you get other market data? Industry. Awareness, okay. we know we'll, we'll call other manufacturers, we'll call other dealers, we'll call distributors, we'll go online to you know, look at various resources to obtain those numbers. So, all right, so there's a lot of research that goes into not just preparing an auction, but also an appraisal. Right, because... we try to go to, you know, for comparable sales, yep. uh, cost to manufacture. Wow, okay. All right, I had no idea that there was, I knew that there was a lot of background in, in, in preparing for a an auction, but as far as the appraisal goes, I didn't realize there was that much drill down research that's involved. No, there is. There's, there's actually more research in setting up for the appraisal. Mm. Uh, I mean, the auction, we, you know, we'll give a range based on, you know, yeah. what we feel the item's worth based on comps and, and other sales, but an mm. appraisal, it's a, it's a lot more. Well, it's serious. It's more serious. Yeah. It's somebody's business because they're looking at the end of the day, they're looking at assets, liquid or otherwise. Right. Interesting. Okay. And so now we talked a little bit about this, but the collateral businesses you typically partner with, we talked about portfolio managers, we talked about asset 
asset departments. And it sounds like you also talk to investors and bankers, distributors, leasing companies, manufacturers, but who else calls you? Who else calls you and who else do you talk to as far as reaching out to, to generate business for paying auctioneers in your appraisal business, that area of your business? Typically the estate attorneys, probate attorneys, we deal with the bankruptcy court, we deal with the marshal service, we deal with the local district attorneys in the area. We do a lot of their seized assets and uh, we'll auction those off for them. We have private parties that are calling us all the time, Mm -hmm. uh, whether it be for antique and estate or whether it be for they have their own business that they want to liquidate or find out what to do with or the best way to liquidate their business. So it sounds like your business is that it, it sounds like Payne Auctioneers is a, would be a valuable partner for just about any business and as well as anybody who has any measurable estate because at some point people's belongings, possessions, assets, whatever you want to call it, right. at some point time's going to go by and, and that's going to be need to be passed on or sold and so it's going to need you to look at what its value is so that somebody else can properly plan. Right. We're called into a lot of those situations just that they, so that they'll know, is this even worth leaving to anybody other mm-hmm. than for sentimental value? But they, they're more concerned with, I want to leave something to my, my children, my gan- grandchildren. Is there any value to this? So we'll go in and we'll do the appraisal just for their own knowledge. Mm-hmm. A, a relative might have left it to them. Yep. And, right. and, and that happens a lot of times. There's always somebody that's getting everything from an aunt and uncle, and they just collected and over years, what do I do with this? Mm-hmm. And especially as the antique market's gotten softer over the last eight years, eight or 10 years, a lot of things that used to be desirable right now, it is just stuff. Interesting. Well, I, and that probably speaks to trend, I suppose, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, right now, the stuff from the mid fifties is very hot. The 19th and 20th century, early 20th century custom furniture, it's just not desirable. You can't give it away. Interesting. Okay. All right. So yeah. So it does boil down to what's what is trendy and what what people want to right. versus just good business. So now my understanding is that you you mentioned that you you work with district everybody from district attorneys to private clients in the area, but you have a national presence. Isn't that isn't that true? Right. We we have an office in California that my son runs, mm-hmm. and uh, he's been in, in since he was I think sixteen. He's had his auctioneer's license. Oh, wow. he's, he's out in California. We do a lot on the West Coast. We'll get called into you know, Vegas, Arizona, you know, a lot of those states where they know us, they'll call us in and we'll do the auction, we'll do the asset appraisal, whatever needs to be done. Interesting. Good for you. He's very, well, respons- all right. he's very responsive. So, so this business that started with your mom's hobby interest and she turned it into a business and then she invited you in has right. now become a family business that is bi-coastal or na- internet, it is, is national. Right. My three sons are auctioneers. My wife's an auctioneer. She's probably done more real estate foreclosures in mass than any other female. Really? Yeah. From probably 2003 to 2013, during the, yeah. the real estate foreclosure boom, we were doing 80 to 100 foreclosures a week. And she was probably doing 30 or 40 of them. Oh my word. I can't even imagine that. Like that would we'll talk about a heavy workload with the amount of research that you mentioned is involved. We were doing them every half hour, oh my depending gosh. on we, from point A to wow. point B. If we were yeah. in the same city, we try to do them every half hour, definitely doing them on every hour. Wow. Wow. Well, okay. So it's a family business and 
everyone, all of you are, are certainly invested in what you're doing and you certainly have good partnerships with the people that you need to in these different industries, whether it is distributors, bankers, lawyers. Right. That's excellent. Okay. So um, I want to thank you so much for your time today, Stan. It's a real privilege to have you on the show. I appreciate uh, but that I wanted, also. Oh, happy to. I'd love to have you back at some point too. But before we sign off, where can people find you? All right. We're at uh, 300 Washington Street, Newton, Mass. You can find us at painauctioneers.com. We're on LinkedIn. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. And what's the office phone, phone number, number, please? 617-731-4455. Okay, very good. And so now what are the office hours on the East Coast and the West Coast too, before I forget? Our office hours are pretty much nine to five. Okay. But, All but right. we're available. If I'm not in my office, my office phone goes to my cell phone. So we're available both on the East Coast and West Coast 24-7. Oh, wow. Very good. Okay. Well, well, it sounds to me like you are very busy. You have been for many years and it sounds like even now you're still busy and, and you've expanded your business and you've adapted your business to the, the pandemic, which is excellent. So I'm, I'm so thrilled for you that you, that your business is, your family business has continued to thrive. I think it's wonderful. And again, I do want to thank you so much for your time today on the show. It was a real privilege to have you and it's always nice to see you. So right. thank I you, hope Kim. you do come back. Thank you. I look forward to it. Okay, very good. Thanks, Dan. Bye now. Bye-bye. Please remember, if you like this podcast, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or whatever you find your podcast. And you can go to pod617.com for more info. And Kim, how do people get in touch with you? Hi, everybody. So, yeah, so my email is kim at bostonedits.com. Um, my website presence, um, you'll, you'll find me. The website address is www.bostonedits.com. I have a LinkedIn profile using my full name, Kimberly Calvi. I am on Twitter. Um, and that is where you will find me. So I um, hope to hear from you. My tagline is your voice heard through the written word. That is what I provide for my clients when I um, engage them in, in content writing, blog writing, um, and other, other marketing collateral that they need in the written word. So hope to hear from you. All right. On behalf of Kim and the Boston Podcast Network, this has been Communication Commandments. We'll see you next time.